Hi everyone, how's it going? Anyone have any good flood stories? A few, just Lyndon? I remember one day when I was painting down in Invercargill and we were painting the Edendale Dairy Factory, which is not in Invercargill, it's about half an hour out. And my boss rang me and it had been raining heaps. And he said, hey, have you got a little Ford laser? And I said, yeah, 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 yeah. And he said, it's parked next to the workshop, is it? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, is there anything else like because there's a few around, is, is this definitely your one? And I was like, well, mine's got a red stripe along the side of it. And he said, oh, uh, nah, this isn't yours. And I said, why is that? He said, it's, it's, up, it's got water up to the door. And, uh, and he said, I'm, just, I'm glad it's not yours. And I said, well, hang on a second, like how high? Because the red stripe's about here. And it turned out it was above the red stripe. And so I got home and the car wouldn't, well, wouldn't even, I couldn't even get into it. So I had to leave it there for a week. That's how I handled that situation. Uh, anyway, hey, it is very good to see you. Kia ora those at home uh, or watching wherever you are. My name is uh, Andre. My wife, Hannah, and I, we lead Cornerstone Church with a fantastic group of individuals. And it is good to have you here. Hey, a couple of things. Firstly, everyone take a deep breath and then say, happy birthday, Lyndon. 68, well done. Sorry, that's not fair. I'm, te- I'm 10 years wrong. He's 78. Okay. <laughs> I love you, mate. I shouldn't do that. I mean, because um, my birthday's a week before his, so he'll be able to get me next year. Um, hey, just another quick thing. Um, this is Michelle. Everyone say, hi, Michelle. She's taking some photos for us for our website and social media stuff just to keep that stuff updated. Um, cool. Hey, let's begin. Can I pray? That's always a good thing, good place to start. Heavenly Father, we, um, we just want to come into your presence. Lord, I, you know, I'm just, I'm just a man with a microphone, but you, Holy Spirit, can change the lives and the hearts of men and women. You, in a moment, God, can do miraculous and wonderful things. Father, we ask for that today in our hearts, um, for the person next to us, Lord, um, be with us today um, as we just kind of ex- explore a, uh, a subject, a, a thought today in your mighty name. Amen. Hey, so um, throughout this year, I've been walking us through the book of, does anyone remember? Yes. Book of Acts, yes. Anyone know how many chapters are in the book of Acts? 28, good. You must have gone to Bible college. Good boy. <laughs> well done. 28 um, chapters um, in, in Acts. So guess what? At one chapter a, a, a week, and we're not doing this every week, it's going to take us a while. Is everybody okay with that? You, I mean, you can read ahead if you want to. I can't stop you. So you can read ahead if you think it's taking too long. So today, I am not doing the book of Acts, but I am. this is my response to the book of Acts. I've been thinking about this group of people. Um, if we remember about the um, Israelites, the Jewish people, the Hebrews, we, we know that their entire structure and system is built around uh, laws, built around um, structure of how you connect with God. Uh, to a point, it's so extreme that to a point, um, you can't even get into the presence of God in the Old Testament unless you're a particular type of um, Israelite, 
um, who is a, um, a priest, and it's only one priest one time a year. There's all of these systems in place, and so much so that you were either in or you were out. All of these laws, you'll find them in Exodus and um, Leviticus and uh, Genesis, all of these systems that they had in place. But then, fast forward a few thousand years, and we get to the New Testament. And you got a small group of people that turned the entire world upside down through Christ, but they had to turn their entire lives upside down as well. And a system that has said you had to do this, eat this, go here, don't do that, don't talk to that person, don't touch that person, marry this person only, it was massively different to turn your life upside down and go, you know what, um, it isn't about that anymore. It's actually about a personal relationship with Jesus. No longer is it just religion, it's relationship. And so there's this grace that they encounter through Christ, right? This, this grace they encounter, and it changes the whole world. And it's amazing. You know, you, this whole system, right? Like, you, you, were, um, you were pushed out. You were disowned from your family if you did X, Y, Z, or if you were no longer a practicing Jewish person. So these guys turned their whole lives around for grace. And as I look at, say, the Sadducees or the Pharisees in the New Testament, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and in the book of Acts, it's really easy. Who here has ever read anything about the, the, the Pharisees and gone, man, those guys are just, those guys are just evil, or something along those lines? Here's what I think. I think some of us, and certainly me at times, have been those people. We have put religion in front of relationship, which, is, which simply is what they did at the time. So today is a little bit of a pushback uh, against that. And I am just blown away recently by God's amazing grace. So if you're writing this down today, the sermon is just called Amazing Grace. I think there was a song wrote about it, wasn't there? I won't sing it for you. Amazing grace. And it turned the world upside down. Um, 613. There were 613 laws, rules uh, in the Old Testament to keep our relationship with God. 613 barriers. You had to do this, do these things. It was everything from, you had to wear clothes that didn't have a hem or didn't have, weren't, I can't remember, they weren't sewn in a particular way. There were food you weren't allowed to eat, people you weren't allowed to connect with, marriages you weren't allowed to get married into, places you couldn't live, um, festivals you had to keep. 613. If you will, well, let's call them barriers or, or, or fences that you've got to get past. 613. Then the New Testament comes, Jesus comes, and instead of 613 things that you've got to get through, instead of 613 fences, Jesus comes and gives two fence posts. What are they? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, and then love others as you love yourself. It is revolutionary, and it's through grace that this happens. Jesus redefined. Jesus comes and he redefines what holiness is. Jesus comes and redefines what righteousness is. Jesus comes and he redefines how you connect with God. And it's all through amazing grace. Can you guys say amazing grace? I should have got you to sing it. 
Um, anyone singing it in their head right now? Yep, I see their hand. Jesus comes and Jesus redefines it. So I'm going to be talking about grace today. Now, I want to be really clear, and here's my caveat. Some of you may be slightly uncomfortable with me talking about grace. Because some of us, and I have been here, we find solace, we find comfort in the rules. And you might think, ah, oh, gosh, here we go. It's, there's this hyper-grace kind of movement where this, there's this theology. And like any theology, you can push it one way and you can push it too far. And it can become actually a really not a great thing. And there's this um, theology out there called hyper-grace, which basically says, say one prayer when you're 13 at youth group and you can do whatever you want for the rest of your life. All good, no worries, slide into heaven, all good. That is clearly not what I'm saying today. But what I am saying is perhaps we have not been overly graceful to ourselves in times. Who here thinks that they are probably their hardest critic? Yeah. Perhaps we have not always been graceful to those around us. Perhaps we have not always been graceful to the unlovable, to the tough ones. Anyone have family members that are just can at times be difficult to love? If you're sitting next to them, don't put your hands up. Look the other way. So that's my caveat. Don't read into what I'm not saying, okay? I'm just saying I think at times we need to realize that God is graceful. Now here's a couple of things. If you're not aware of this, I'm not looking at anyone in particular, I'll look at the ceiling. There's probably at least 20 people in this room right now, 20 at least, who are at the first stages or who are on their journey of knowing Jesus. How cool is that, that we have people in the room that are learning and growing and understanding who Christ is in their life? Isn't that cool? We've had, uh, when Pastor Sam was here, we had 15 salvations. The week after, we had five salvations. We had seven people for baptism. We've got a number of other people wanting to get baptized. There are new Christians and new believers in the house. This sermon is going to be great for you guys and a reminder for the rest of us as well. Um, Ephesians 2 says, But because of this great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that we have been saved. Remember I said that Jesus redefines righteousness. Used to be that you would be righteous by going through 613 different steps. But now it is not our righteousness, but only the righteousness of Christ in which we step into when we invite him into our lives, that God now sees us righteous and holy. Um, quick change. In John 4, we get this wording, this, this story about uh, a well. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. It's earthly water. But whoever drinks the water that I will give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of life, water welling up for eternal life. That idea, that spring, right, is like if you've, if you've ever followed a creek and it just pops out, out of the ground at its source, that is a spring, and as Christians, when we read that, we should be excited. Who's excited? Because we, we need that well inside us that is springing up, springing and feeding us. And when we overflow, that overflows for others as well, right? Yeah. Hmm. I'll be honest with you. This sermon is as much for me as it is for you guys. 
you know, you can go through the motions. Anyone here gone through the motions as a Christian and just done the right things, attended the right stuff, been there, said the right stuff? Um, and it's not that that's bad or evil, but it's just operating out of a dryness. Anyone here operated ever in their life from a sense of like, I know it's the right thing, but I'm just not feeling like I'm connected with livers of riving, livers, livers of riving water. Wow, someone should get that made into a t-shirt. Livers of living water. Wow, it's been a long week. Rivers of living water. Ah. <laughs> now I'm picturing a liver on a t-shirt. Okay, moving on. Wells in the Old Testament. Well, sorry, in, in, in ancient times, in biblical times, are super important. It's, they were a life force. And wells in, in a desert area are a life force now. I just want to change tact for a second. Um, anyone here been to the Outback? In Australia, yep. It is so vast and so massive, it's almost incomprehensible how big the desert is. And in the uh, Northern Territories uh, and upper parts of Queensland, some of the stations or farms, if you will, um, are so enormous. They're not 10 acres. They're not 10 hectares. They're not even 100 hectares. Some of these farms are 100 plus miles long and 75 miles wide. Can you get your head around how big that is? That is huge. Sometimes tens of thousands. Some of them are even millions of acres. Say you own some land. This is a big um, bird's eye view. How do you keep your stock, your cattle, in a place that big? Say that's your boundary. Could you imagine, the f- anyone here had to build a fence? We, if you live in Rollison, maybe you've had to build your house. Anyone had to build a fence or have a fence built? They are not cheap. You imagine the per meter squ- when you get that invoice. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how much it is. $300 a length or a, a meter times 75 miles. <laughs> it is not possible. And neither is the repairs and maintenance on something like that, right? So they had to think of a way not only for themselves, but also their neighbors with their neighboring boundaries. How do you keep your stock in? You just simply can't have fences. And even if you paid all the money in the world to box in your section, then it's still just one big paddock. There's not, there's not smaller spaces. So they came up with this idea that cattle will only, they, they looked at the natural thing, state of things, and they realized that cattle will take from a well, take from water, And they'll only ever travel two or three hours in any one direction away from a regular and reliable water source. Because they know if they don't, what happens? They die. So instead of the fence line approach in some of these places in the Northern Territories, what do they do? They dig strategic and specifically allocated wells. It might just be a tub but they've, they've hooked into an artesian well, and they have sunk this thing uh, in this land. And they'll do several, right? And say, if you own this, you might do that many. Because the, the, the cattle will only go so far. They don't need to be fenced in. They just need a regular water source because they know they need it. And they will never go so far as to leave the water source. And so there's a a range, there's an area in which the cattle can move and get food and whatnot, but they'll always come back to the water source. And you do that across all of these things, what do you start to get? Complete coverage of your land. 
I'd like to say, you know, in the, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, we saw this change from fence-based theology to a well theology. Who wants to be a well-based individual that is connected to the one true living God through his living waters? And when you do that, you get happy, like this cow. I don't know how they, how they get that shot, Michelle. I have no idea. Expensive camera underwater. Fences keep you in. Wells draw you in. And if you are a new Christian or if you're on that journey today, I want you to say it's not about rules and regulations and systems. It's actually about connecting with the God that will give you redemption, yes, but give you a life, give you give you life abundantly, give, and be connected with you forever. How awesome is that? It's not about rules and systems. I, I ask myself the question, why does humanity put these fences up? And why do we like to keep in the fences? Why do we like our religion? Everybody take a deep breath, because I might get pointy for a second. <gasps> okay, you're all right? I think part of the reason we slip from a well-based theology to a fence-based theology, is we like the idea of being in, being in a community. We're made for community, I get that. And then those people being out. Anyone seen that in church? I'm in. You're out. There's, oh, we're all in together. Look at us, this beautiful little group of people. We're in. Look at us. Oh, look at all those guys over there. Mm. They're not in the fences. They're not in the system. And there, there's unfortunately, and I've done it. I've done it. I'm putting my hand up first. Right? I loved living in my little fence post. But that is not what God has called us to. God has not called us to religion. He's called us to relationship. He's called us to being graceful to others as well. You know what else puts up? Fences and walls, sin. If you're here today and you've got major issues in your life, sin, addictions, those sorts of things, you're also going to be really struggling because the enemy wants you to be confined. He wants it in the darkness. He doesn't want it in the light. Let me tell you now, find a person that you trust, that you love, that you respect, turn the light on and say, hey, look, these are the issues I'm going through. For sin shall no longer be your master when you're saved because you are not under the law but under grace. Can everyone say under grace? Perfect. Hey, um, here's a photo of a guy called Lyle Penasula. I'm going to tell a quick story. Um, anyone like stories? I like stories. Okay, quick story. I've told this story before. And um, Lyle Penasula was my, uh, he was the assistant pastor of Invercargill Christian Center. I'd been saved about a year and a half, maybe. And um, I was a messed up kid. I got saved at 17, but I was a train wreck. My mum, who'd been, uh, who left home at 14 because of all sorts of abuse that you can imagine, left home, had a string of terrible relationships, uh, and, and jumped at the chance of someone that was solid, that was my father, who was a decade or so older than her. Uh, they were married, and then it all fell over and whatnot. So my mum, as, as awesome as she is, and some of you have met her, she's fantastic, she was not equipped to solo mum. Uh, it was a tough time in the 80s. 
um, and my sister's profoundly deaf or hearing impaired. I was a severe asthmatic, like in, in hospital all the time. It was a hard go for my mother. Um, so I had mummy issues, and I didn't have a dad around, and I had daddy, daddy issues too. And what do you do at that age? You turn to something, and I turn to relationships. I just turn to the chase of trying to find the next relationship. I was 17, 18, only just either not saved or just recently saved. And I had chased after girls left, right, and center. I'm being honest. That's where I was uh, when I was 17, 18, which is just a few years ago. <clears throat> I'm offended about how many people laughed at that joke. So I actually, unfortunately, will confess to you that I had two girls all going on at the same time. Uh, and... Um, I think I, I think I found out that one of them had told one of the pastor's wives, and then I got the phone call from Lyle Penasula, who was giant, 11 foot tall, uh, tattooed, one-eyed, bald Samoan guy, who spoke a lot like this. And he'd be like, hey, Dre, how's it going? And I'm like, <laughs> I need to go to the bathroom. Um, and he was just an alpha. You know those guys? Shakes your hand, and you, know, you shake your hand like this, and they're just like... G'day! And you just suddenly feel like you're 11. Um, big heart. But he, um, he rang me up and said, Dre, we need to talk. I hear you've been getting up to mischief. And my heart just went, Bleh. And I was like, no, we don't need to talk. I won't come to church. And he's like, nah, you're coming around. I was like, okay. <clears throat> I didn't talk like this. <laughs> so I was like, hey, Lyle. No, I went around to his house, and do you know what he did? So I'd been massively sinning and massively been a, a major issue to the young adults and youth community in our church. And he sat me down, and guess what? He addressed my sin. He addressed it. He spoke about it. He spoke about why it's not ideal. He spoke about why it's hurtful, and he was 100% right. But I had been conditioned that when you do a bad thing, with a loved one around you, that then they, they, they no longer want to be in relationship with you. I knew in my head that if I didn't behave like a Christian, I was no longer worthy to belong there. And so when he comes to me, I knew that I no longer belonged. I knew it. So I met with him, knowing that this is the end of my new life, my new friendship. All I wanted to do was run the opposite direction. He had this conversation with me. And um, it was the most intense, difficult conversation I'd ever had up until that point. Then I became a pastor and I have those every day. <laughs> um, can I do something a little different? Lyndon, can I get you up here? Can you stand on this chair for me? There you go. Stand up there, face me. <clears throat> a few years ago, I'm going to tell the rest of the story, but a few years ago, this to me is how Lyle was represented in my mind and in my thinking. He was this manly man, godly man, and I was intimidated to no end of him. A few years ago, we went to, I think, National Conference, and um, I was standing next to Kath Sutherland, and she leaned over to me, and she goes, I might have introduced her or something and said, oh, that's Lyle Penasula. And she said, oh, is that the guy from the story? And I said, yeah. And then I suddenly realized he was at my shoulder and he was just this average looking dude. And he, she's like, he's really not that big. 
But this is what he felt like to me at the time. And do you know what he said? He said all of that stuff, and then he goes, right, get up. Okay. I got up, and he said, come here. And I went, uh, and he said, come here. And I walked over to him, and he grabbed me by the back of the neck like this, except he was up there. And he said, um, mate, I love you. God loves you. He died on the cross for you. You are beautifully, wonderfully made. And he said, mate, you are welcome here. You are welcome, you're welcome, you're welcome. He said it four times. And I just, like, I just never had this kind of father figure ever talk to me like that. And he says, you have stuffed up, but God loves you and you can always come back to God. And I was like, okay. And I went to pull away and he grabbed me by the scruff of the neck. And he pulled me in. And he kind of lifted my arms up and held me like this, which again did not feel very manly for me because I felt like I was three about to get picked up by my dad. But can we do that for a second? Oh, did you get my back click? I'm an old man. Oh. Okay, give him a round of applause. But he held me and he said, don't let go. Don't step away, step in. And he held me, and I started crying, and he pushed me right into his chest, held me back at the, the, the back, and he says, God loves you. I love you, son. You're okay. And I pulled away, bawling, because I'd never been spoken to like that in my life. And here's grace in action. I had every right to give me the boot, and I'd done all of this bad stuff, and he did speak to it, but I tell you what, man, I cleaned up for a while. <laughs> I cleaned up my life. Here's the thing, if someone had pointed out to me in those sort of five years when I first got saved, 17 to about 23, someone had pointed out and said, hey, look, you're outside, you're doing this, you're doing that, you're doing this, I probably would have just run away. But for some reason, God put amazingly faithful, grace-filled people that said, yeah, you're stuffing up, stop doing that, that's not good for you. However, because you know, you do know, you've been around a little while, however, let's keep going. And over time, Something changed in me. It wasn't because I had to change my behavior, but my relationship with Jesus grew to a point that what happened? My behavior just started to change anyway. All right, let's get into it. Bye, Lyle. Fence-based system of relationship for God in the Old Testament, or at least if we're living in a religious system, looks like this. God, and then we put a box around him, and we say, you need to behave a certain way before you can be in relationship with God. That certainly was Old Testament. And if you've been in some churches, has anyone ever heard something like this sort of spoken? You need to look like this. You need to sound like this. You need to dress like that. You need to behave in a certain way. Then you can have a relationship with God. But then the boxes continue coming. The next one is, then you need to believe exactly what we believe to an absolute degree, otherwise you're out and you can't be in the next stage with God. And then there's a third one that says, once you behave the right way, then you believe. Then once you get to there, then, only then, you belong. Anyone sort of seen or heard of that sort of theology? That you behave, believe, and then belong. Behave, believe, belong. That's kind of the process, right? Behave the right way. Well, I want to say rubbish. And let me give some biblical reasons why I say rubbish. 
Jesus meets this woman at the well, uh, a Samaritan woman. I'm not going to go to the whole story. If you don't know the whole story, this is like, um, you know those guys on YouTube that like gets a whole movie and tells you exactly what happens in a movie, but in like four minutes, an abridged version, that's what this is, okay? If you don't know the story, uh, go, go and find it. But Jesus uh, is walking through Samaria with his disciples. He leaves them in a town to go to a well in the middle of the day, meets a woman. They have a bit of a discourse. They have some dialogue. And what happens is she's talking about one thing. He's talking about another. There's a little bit of back and forth. And then he says, um, uh, he says like, actually, the water that you have is, not, is only day to day, but I can give you water that's even more. And he said, you know, go and tell your husband. And she said, well, I, I'm not actually married. And he addresses the sin in her life in a way. And he says, uh, that's right. You've actually had five husbands and the person you're with now isn't even your husband. And this interaction that they come together and it's very interesting. It's in John. Um, he says this, you Samaritans, you worship what you do not know. She was a Samaritan. We worship what we do know. Here's interesting. For salvation is from the Jews. So he's saying, all of the 613 rules, here they are. It's through us. But then he says, yet a time is coming, and it now has come, where true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. They are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship Him in Spirit and in truth. So yes, we, we definitely need to address sin, 100%, because that's not truthful otherwise. And if we don't address sin, what is the point of salvation without sin? It's got to be, there's a salvation from something. It's an interesting dynamic. He doesn't rip into her. He tells her that she is loved and valued. There's another one, Zacchaeus, where uh, Jesus is walking along and there's Zacchaeus up a tree. Go check it out if you don't know it. And he says this very interesting thing. Zacchaeus was not a good guy as far as they were concerned. In fact, worse than the Romans because he stole money from his own people to pay the Romans and line his own back pocket. An interesting thing happens. When Zacchaeus reached the spot, he looked up. uh, Sorry, when Zacchaeus. When Jesus reached the spot, he reached up. He looked up and he said to Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and joined him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to the guest of a sinner. That is breaking one of the 613 rules. Oh, he's stepping over the fence. He's standing on the fence line like this. What's he doing? That's wrong, 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 wrong. We don't, we yell at the people outside of the fence. You're doing it wrong. We don't go out of the fence. You don't go, go don't jump over the fence. That'd be a terrible thing to do. Stay in the fence and you yell at people. That's what you do. But Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Look at the interaction. Zacchaeus, can I come to your place? Normally, the response is, uh, yup, or nah. Let me just, give me 10 minutes to run the vacuum cleaner around, okay? That's the normal response. But he goes, look, Lord, a recognition first of who he is. Here and now, I give half of all my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay it back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to your house because this man too is the son of Abraham. He is connected. He belongs. What did he do? All he did was recognize who Christ was and he did repent of his ways. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. So much grace. Third little story. Um, A bunch of people bring uh, a woman who's found in adultery and they say, Hey Jesus, 
They're trying to trap him. And they say, Jesus, you've got to kill her. We've got to kill her with stones because she's been found in adultery. In John 8, they say they were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stood down, wrote in the dust with his finger. That's a whole other thing. But they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again. All right, but, the, the, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone, he says. Then he stooped down and wrote in the dust. Verse 9, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, uh, beginning with the oldest. I always found that funny because the oldest are like, been around long enough to go, man, I'm, I'm, I have enough sin in my life. I've got enough issues. I've seen it all being there. I'm walking away. Until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Who's the one person that could accuse her? And he said, no, um, and she didn't even one of them condemn you. No, Lord, she said. And then he says, because he addresses that, neither do I go and sin no more. Protects her, makes sure that she doesn't die, offers her a salvation. And then he says, hey, yeah, okay, don't, you need to stop sinning. Behave, believe, belong. I think that's wrong. I think a well-based theology, a well-based church looks at it opposite changes things up a little bit and says, actually, it's not behave, believe, belong. But what we've seen in those stories that, you know, Zacchaeus, there was a, there was a belonging immediately. And then other stuff changed. Behavior immediately in that case changed. Amazing Grace says, belong first. Believe. And then behavior will come. It is not behave, believe, belong. But belong first. Jesus did address sin, but usually second or third thing or not at all. Yes, sin is important and it does need to be addressed. And I'm talking about salvation. There is a time you get saved. Like Lyle had that conversation with me after a couple of years. He said, mate, you actually need to pick your, you need to sort your stuff out here. So that does come 100%. But there's a sense of belonging first. Can I ask a question? Who here is a member of this church because they felt a sense of connectedness, that they belonged, that there was relationship and friendship? Oh, funny. Interesting, right? In my opinion, this is just my wording, but belonging means even though your life might be a mess, choosing to belong to him is enough for salvation. Okay, choosing to belong with him. Now, you cannot read, say, the book of James and live in that space. There is a time where you develop and you grow and you you work things out 100%. But in the beginning, to be saved, it's not about looking like the right Christian, making sure you have the right Christian shoes, the right Christian language, or coming to the right things. It's not what it's about at all. When you recognize him in belonging, it means he recognizes you and you belong. God loves you. You are a son and daughter of Christ, if you didn't know that. And as a church, uh, we value and love people so that they belong. In fact, I probably would reword that actually and say, as a church, we value and love people and they feel belong, belonging. We don't do it because, but it's a natural overflow. Who went to the um, midwinter dinner last night? It was just a thing. I was talking to a guy earlier on in the week. He's like, why? Do you do like Bible study at it? And I was like, nah. 
We just hang out and eat food. Well, that's not very religious. Aha! You're right. It's not. It's just hanging out and belonging. Believing. What does believing mean? Well, it can mean a lot of things, but faith is worth believing in. Here's something that took me a lot of time to get my head around. Are you ready? For those new Christians or those people that you're trying to take on the journey, understand this. Sorry. Understanding that believing is not the same as knowing. I believe a plane will fly. Hannah and I have to jump on a plane after this and go to Hamilton. Woohoo! We have to fly to Hamilton. I believe that a plane can, I believe ah oh, see. I believe that we will fly, touch the sky. I think about it. No, okay, right, moving on. Is it seal? Yeah. Okay. I believe a, f- a plane can fly. Do I fully understand the dynamics of how a plane flies? No. I went to performing arts school. I don't know. I believe a car can work. In fact, I really like cars. Do I fully know the internal combustion engine to a degree that I fully understand it? No, I don't. So if you're here today, this took me years. I was like, but I don't understand everything. You don't have to understand everything. That's why it's a faith. Who here understands everything? Yeah, trick question. (laughs) As a church, we understand it is not simply believing in one doctrinal truth that binds us either. As in, you know, you all have to believe the same thing. We know we go, hey, we believe in some dogmatic views. You know, that Jesus is the Son of God, that salvation comes through Christ, uh, what he did on the cross, those things. And then there's some doctrinal things about baptism and Holy Spirit stuff. That's really cool. Um, And then there's opinions and things. But we're relatively comfortable to say, hey, you have that opinion That's okay. We're not standing in the fence line going, you believe that salvation doesn't come from being baptized? You're out! And they're yelling inside the fences again. And then behaving. We also believe that it's not simply good outside actions that makes us Christians. Jesus talked about that, right? He said, you whitewashed tombs, calling the Pharisees. You look lovely and white and good from the outside, but you're rotting in the middle. It is not about behaving. For years, I tried to behave the right way. It wasn't until I let God get a hold of my heart, changed me, took me through a journey that, guess what? My behavior changed eventually without me even trying. And do you know how many times it was people speaking into my sin and my my behavioral issues? Maybe 5% of the time. Who else do you think did 95% of the other communicating to me? Holy Spirit. He's the counselor. Christ-like behavior is the result of a relationship with Christ. It is, uh, the relationship doesn't start there. You're not going to look exactly like Christ when you first get saved. You can't just pretend your way through. It will eventually get there, but that's not where we start. And then as a church, as a church... Um, we understand that behavior is a process, one in which the Holy Spirit is often the catalyst. Anyone here got tried to be the Holy Spirit? Right? Like your kids start coming off and you're like, can't do that! And they don't listen to you. But if you pray, anyone here prayed for, for a kid for a long time? Yeah. Pray. Let's not try and do the Holy Spirit's job, eh? 
I don't know if we could do it half as good. So again, I'm not saying let's just go sin and do whatever we want and God will forever forgive us. But I am saying for you, if you're new as a Christian, don't be so concerned about behavior and believing everything. Just know that God wants you to belong to his family. And if you have a son, a daughter, a parent, a friend that has moved away from God or has never been with God, know that the Holy Spirit is chasing after them. That one day, pray that they would get so dry that they turn to the one true living God that is a well of water. Let's be a well-based church that understands God's grace is bigger than our comprehension. Can we stand? Can I have the worship team up, please? Anyone remember the three B's in order? First one. Second one. Third one. That's right. Man, that story of Zacchaeus is a really good example, right? He didn't tell him to behave. He didn't even tell him he had to believe. He offered him belonging, and he jumped at it. Oh my gosh, we, the, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Evangelism that could happen in our world if we just let people connect it in. And guess what? Not everybody's shiny and awesome. Sometimes they're a little bit messy, right? I was messy. (laughs) But someone was willing to grab me by the scruff of the neck and said, I see something in you. You little snot-nosed brat. Stop doing that because God's got a plan for your life. You belong here. And here's the thing. I didn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I wasn't in the place where I could even see it. There's power. There's life. There is death in the power of the tongue. Encourage. Invite people into your world. Let them know that they belong. There's so much power there. Hey, I've got some questions, but we've run out of time. If you'd like to, take a photo of that. Some thoughts to ponder on in the week. Do you need to connect to the well again? What does drinking from the living waters daily look like from you? for you? You can't walk 19 hours in one direction and go, Oh, I'm thirsty. Is there any area in your life where you have put up fences and walls and God wants you to be wells, have a well there? The last one, what does a well-based theology mean for you and the others around you? If you've got hard people in your life right now, instead of screaming at them from the fenced-in area, how about you just offer them little glimpses, little drinks of the living water that, as Jesus said, overflows from in our heart outward. Awesome.